When I graduated from law school, I took one look at all the jerks around and the mess that I saw in the polarization. I'd been divorced when I was in law school. I had, wow. you know, had some run-ins with law students who were competing with me. And it was kind of like, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't even know they existed and they were competing with me. It seemed so dysfunctional. And I said, I don't, I don't want part, any part of that. I don't want that culture. And so I had to figure out what I did want. Welcome back to the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. In this week's episode, join Michael Kahn for a wide-ranging discussion with J. Kim Wright, integrative lawyer, author, innovator, and systems change agent. Welcome back to the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. This is Michael Kahn. Today we have a friend, and she tells me that we, we did a program together, and uh, 20 years ago is when we met for the Mecklenburg North Carolina, Mecklenburg County, North Carolina bar in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, her name is Jim J. Let's try that again. J. Kim Wright, J.D. And let me just let me just tell you just we joked that if I went through all of her accomplishments, we'd have about five minutes left to talk. So this is an abridged list of 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 her accomplishments and books, websites, etc. She is the founder and director of Cutting Edge Law, and we'll have her websites uh, connected to the in, in the liner notes. Uh, I don't know if they call it liner notes. I think they used to call it for albums, but the notes of, uh, for the podcast. Uh, she's co-creator and manager of Conscious Contracts, sponsor of the Integrative Law Movement, visiting clinical professor of Quinnipiac. Am I pronouncing that right? Quinnipiac. Quinnipiac Quinnipiac. University School of Law. Okay. And co-editor of Trauma-Informed Law, Primer for Practicing Lawyers. That was published this year by the ABA. Will be. Will be. Will be. To come. And uh, author of Lawyers as Peacemakers, Lawyers as Changemakers. I believe I have a little blurb in that one, Kim, if I remember correctly. I think I I do. And contributed to The Best Lawyer You Can Be, a guide to physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual wellness. Uh, the author or editor, I guess, is Stuart Levine. And uh, she is, I know Stuart Levine, I, I think. She's a contributor. And then uh, a couple more, 50 Lessons for Women Lawyers. She is a contributor to that. And uh, 50 Successful Women Lawyers. Uh, by Nora Riva Bergman. She's a contributor to that. So two, those look like they're, uh, Kim, that'll be my first question. What's, oh, one is 50 lessons for women lawyers and the other is 50 successful women lawyers. Okay, so you're a contributor it's to both. It's the subtitle. It's, it's, the same, it's the same book with a subtitle. Oh, it's the same book. Okay. okay very good. So, the same, so it's one book, 50 lessons for women lawyers. I'll read the whole subtitle then. From women lawyers Career and Life Lessons from 50 Successful Women Lawyers. Okay. And she's got plenty of other stuff. She's got her own website, J. Kim Wright. So uh, we're not going to go through everything. And she's on social media, but we'll have, we'll have those links for you uh, with the, when the podcast is dropped. So that took already three minutes of our time. <laughs> Jim. <laughs> J. Kim Wright is here with us, uh, but I'm going to call her Kim. Kim, good to see you again. It's good to see you, Michael. So, 
Where do we start? I, 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 I wanna, the first thing I want to start is um, yeah. is is sort of this um, this productivity piece. Yes. Um, because okay. um, because I have I I, I I like to keep busy, and yeah. uh, I like to write. You'll see, by I, the way, listeners. You'll you'll see, but that 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 statement is is true, very true. <laughs> and um, and I, I don't do anything that I don't love doing. And yeah, so the, yeah. the, um, the question for me is always um, looking for that balance. And mm-hmm. one of the things I've tried this year that I'm so far really loving is that I am not scheduling anything on Mondays and Thursdays. And, um, and so if people want to talk to me, they talk to me Tuesday, Wednesday, or Friday, but I have a lot of standing appointments. And so um, just you know, having random conversations is starting to get a little rare. Right. Unless, unless like the uh, universe opens up and people have, you know, like the exact moment um, yes. that I have a, an opening, um, and um, and so I've been really going with the flow about that. Well, and, and I'm fortunate to get you so quickly, then. That's, that's, <laughs> and I love that, by the way. I love that you're setting aside those two days for no. Is it no appointments or no meetings or, or is it nothing scheduled just for you to be able to it's, focus on writing or whatever else you're doing? It's nothing scheduled. Mm-hmm. And like last week I had a photo shoot with a, and a makeup artist came in and, um, and did my hair and makeup before the photo shoot. And that was how I spent my day. There are some uh-huh. times that I actually like go and repot plants or um, uh, once a month, I have a two-hour massage, on uh, usually on Monday, but Thursday if Monday doesn't work for the massage therapist. Yeah. And um, and having that time has just transformed my relationship to uh, what there is to do. And uh, and so uh, you know, like that busyness that is like the badge. Um, I don't have that anymore. Like I don't have that um, uh, sense that I, there's never enough time because I have time. I've set aside mm-hmm. time and I even take weekends um, mm-hmm. and I work when I want to work. Uh, and so, like you know, sometimes on Monday, if I'm not doing anything else, I work on my to do list and and collecting like all the little notes and pieces around and actually just putting it all on the to do list. And my to do list has like notes on it for, um, to remind me. So it's not a to-do list. It's more like a running journal of all the yeah. projects I'm working on. Yeah. And so, and, you have a um, lot. and I have a lot, I have, I have, I have so many projects that I often forget to like, if I, if somebody says rattle them off, I forget. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but the to-do list keeps them there. So I don't have to worry about them. And so, uh, so, uh, so anyway, I, I want to, you know, like when people, think I'm busy, they immediately think I must be really hard to get. Well, mm-hmm. I'm not hard to get when um, when I'm like working on something that I'm really passionate about and it's urgent, but I am hard to get if it's something new because I have right. a full plate of all the really wonderful things that I'm working on already. Well, let me, yeah, so let me, let's just start with, and that's a good start, by the way. We started with a good pointer about uh, uh, well-being. Setting aside two days, no appointments. Um, so, how would you describe yourself, Kim? How would you describe? Because I'm not going to try. How would you describe? 
Gosh, I mean, not, even saying what you do isn't the right question. But no, it's not describe, about what I do. You're a JD. Uh, yep. You don't I, uh, practice law. I, but I you, did for, for like 20 you did, years. Yeah, but for uh, now, yeah, you did. For, so talk and start wherever you want to in terms of who you are. Well, about 20, 20 something years ago, I took on transforming the legal profession as my main project for the rest of my life. Hmm. And at that point, I'd already been practicing law. I'd been experimenting with ways of doing law differently. Um, so, uh, you know, when I graduated from law school, I took one look at all the jerks around and the mess that I saw in the polarization. I'd been divorced when I was in law school. I had, wow. you know, had some run-ins with law students who were competing with me. And it was kind of like, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't even know they existed and they were competing with me. It seemed so dysfunctional. And I said, I don't, I don't want part, any part of that. I don't want that culture. And so I had to figure out what I did want. And, um, and so for the first several years, I've kind of um, like worked in the nonprofit world. I was the director of a domestic violence program. Uh, I, um, you know, did some other nonprofit kind of work. Then I discovered uh, this movement. Um, there was a, I was doing personal, a lot of personal growth and consciousness kind of work. And I went to Wait, this, What year was this, Kim? So the year that I'm about to t tell the story about was 94. Yeah. And so when I, did um, that book, the book Transforming Practices? It came out in 99. Out. You, remember, you remember that book, yes. right? I, okay. I, Stephen Kiva, the author of that book, yes. was a very dear friend of mine. Very yes. dear friend. And he has unfortunately passed, right? He has passed. Many, a few years ago. But he wrote that book, Transforming Practices. Transforming Practices, That yeah. I, I still have. Yeah. So go ahead. And I think it came out in 99. Okay. So in those in the in those mid to late nineties, there it was sort of like a little of this and a little of that. And I found Stu Webb, who had created the collaborative law model, and I found restorative justice. And you know, I was I was finding these things that had that sort of that healing, peacemaking, um, yeah. more humane and conscious approach to law. So I was experimenting with all of it. And this is and right in, out of law school. You already knew because of your experience in law school, and as you said, with the jerks that you're yeah. already dealing with outside and when you say jerks do you mean in terms of how uh their their people skills how they treated you the kind of yeah. doggy dog world or that kind of stuff yeah yeah it, and and i'm really clear that it was how the system is designed like, yeah like, like the system is designed for us to be jerks okay and to, and to mm -hmm. not trust people yeah. And, and and so I got really interested also in systems change and systems theory and you know how do you um, how do you actually uh, make change at the systemic level? Yeah, so, yeah, so yeah. Was, and so so in, in psychology, soup. the whole idea of systems theory. Psychology, yeah. yeah mm -hmm. So there was this whole soup of the '90s where I was just sort of this laboratory mm -hmm. for all the stuff coming in mm -hmm. and practicing law. And, um, you know, building a law practice in a small town in North Carolina. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I used to say it was 25 miles in 25 years from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. What town were uh, you in? I'm, I'm not going to say now that I've said that. <laughs> They're still 25 miles in 25 years the area. from Chapel Hill. <laughs> okay. All right. So a small town. And you, and you got out of law school and opened up your own practice? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Eventually. Wow. I, I, you know, I did that nonprofit work first. Oh, right. And, and so, so 
five years out of law school, I opened my own practice. And um, I mean, I I had a passel of children. I had, uh, you know, this amazing uh, uh, complex life that was not conducive to going and working for a big firm. Mm-hmm. I, I was once um, interviewed by one of the big firms when I was in law school, and I left the interview and thanked them you for did. their time. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I rejected what, what, them. What, what led you to get up and leave? I just saw that, I mean, like, like the people who were interviewing me were, were kind of flat affect. And, right. you know, the questions they were asking were not the things that I was concerned about. Right. And, uh, and, um, uh, and I just looked at him and I said, you know, I don't think we're a good match. And I thank wow. you for your time. I hope that, that, you know, you can get a cup of coffee with the rest of your time and uh, before your next <laughs> appointment. And, uh, you know, good luck with, yeah. with your interviews. Good um, for you. So you could tell this is not this is not happening. This is not a good fit yeah. for me values wise or whatever else. So yeah. why waste both of our times? Yeah, I was in my 30s yeah. by then. Yeah, and so you know, like, like I, I'm not sure that I would have had that kind of clarity in my twenties. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. But right. yeah, it was like you know, definitely so you, not a match. So you knew back then, back in the '90s, back in law school, and then once you're out practicing, that there was something very wrong with the system, and very that, yeah. and that, um lawyers can help but get come out of this training in law school and then in terms of getting immersed in the system it's it's the rare lawyer that can come out of that without being quote a quote-unquote jerk or stressed out or whatever now of course there are lawyers who do but but it's really takes going against the grain because of the system it and um and it takes a lot of courage because we're Mm. considered weird like like i was willing to be weird Mm-hmm. Um, I remember having a conversation with a judge. We were doing a program called Lawyers as Peacemakers, and he actually had a degree in divinity and, and had a lot to say about being a peacemaker from the bench. And we're mm-hmm. sitting at the speaker's table and um, and having this conversation, and he asked me something. And, I, and my answer to him was, I am willing to be the weirdest lawyer in town. And I, that way anybody else can experiment with anything they want. And, um, and they don't have to worry about having that accusation. So what did weird look like? So weird looked like um, I, I was doing mediation before mediation was cool. Mm-hmm. I was doing um, collaborative four-way meetings before, before anybody even knew what collaborative law was. I had a social worker in my office. I had interns coming from the social work school and from the law school and doing um, support groups with my clients. Wow. I had, I had, um, and remember this is in the nineties. Like I had to go to the bar three times because, of um, I, I want, I didn't want to get in trouble with the ethics folks about multidisciplinary practice. And so I kept saying, this is what I want to do. And they would say, well, you can't do that because, but as soon as they gave me the, because I fixed that and I sent it back. So three times before I figured out a way that worked. So I had, I had a mediator, um, an ex social worker who was a coach, uh, and, uh, you know, like this whole law practice, um, I treated my staff like they were actually, um, team members. And, uh, you know, I was a very popular employer. People would stop by and say, you know, next time you have an opening, 
it's mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I also, um, uh, like we had a support group at the, um, in the schools with, uh, one of my, um, one of my people was a former school counselor and she did support groups in the schools. And then when you say schools, the law schools or no, the, the, um, uh, for children who were, whose parents, grade schools for children whose parents were going through divorce. Oh, wow. Okay. And so, so I did a lot of divorce work because being a woman in a small town in North Carolina, that's what came in my door. But then right. people started saying, well, would you, would you help me do this for my business? And, um, and so I started, um, started doing, um, uh, like, um, sort of a more peacemaking approach and more conscious approach to contracts mm. and um, just kind of um, like officially had a general practice, but it, um, it started out family law and then it moved into uh, having an ongoing relationship with my clients who, uh, who had businesses and wanted to have the same kind of relationship. So uh, I kind of had a eclectic practice. And um, so I, you know, I was a mediator at a time when people said mediation would never last. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and how dare, how dare they uh, try to impose uh, peacemaking when, uh, you know, for lawyers, that was going to take money out of their, uh, out of their coffers. Right. Yeah, yeah. Let me, let me just, and, and just want to interrupt here, but I want you to continue to share your journey and, and where up to now where you are but would you say that part of the the um sick system i guess is billable hours oh absolutely i gave up billable hours decades ago mm-hmm. um that was one of the first things that i i figured out that um i didn't i didn't like living by the billable hour and my clients didn't like the billable hour and so um and I'll, we didn't have all the articles and the research and all of the conversations about it. I just knew it was the thing to do. So I just have a conversation with my client and look at their budget and their needs and my budget and my yeah, needs yeah. and, you know, the amount of time it was going to take in terms of, you know, um, you know, expectations and then carved out uh, a sense of um, how much it was going to be. So how do you think, how are things going in the legal community in terms of changing that? I know that there are some firms who are who are not doing billable hours, right? There's certainly yep. some movement, but is it pretty pretty um, um, gla- uh, glacial, I guess, in terms of the change? All change is glacial in law because um, yeah. we've been trained about precedent. So we're always looking back for evidence of whether something's going to work. And we're living in a world where that isn't effective anymore. We're, you know, looking forward to um, what do people actually need? You know, what's going to work um, is not something we are trained to do. And we're, and we are trained to be uh, really frightened about taking a risk and really frightened change. about being different, any kind of change, any kind of weirdness, you know, like, you know, that um, being the weirdest lawyer in town, you know, because you because you stopped billing by the hour, uh, like somehow that's right. you know like the whole system's going to collapse, and in fact it will. Like the big law is yeah. it depends on that, and uh, and 
they really um, are missing the boat by not finding a creative approach that is going to save them. Um, are there any are there any medium to big law firms who have that who have shifted from that, or is it only just kind of the boutiques and I think it's mostly smaller boutiques. firms. I, I, I haven't seen a big law firm. I think yeah. that there may be certain lawyers in some big law firms, uh, but I haven't seen a big law firm. Yeah. Yeah. My, um, I'm not sure the article has been published yet, so maybe I shouldn't mention the, the author, but, but someone who I know very well wrote it has definitely um, made it one of his life purposes to, to, help influence the shift away from billable hours. But he talked about in, uh, he's talked about how it, it um, causes lawyers to lose or can cause lawyers to lose connection for what brought, what, why they were attracted to practicing law in the first place. Cause the focus is so um, uniformly on the billable hours. Yeah. You got to yeah. get these billable hours in. And that's, that's what they become these kind of, automatons just making sure they reach that that number whatever it is 1750 or 2000 couple hours right yeah I, I don't know if you know stephanie west allen she's oh. um she's a lawyer turned mediator turned neuroscientist and now she's um actually um working in with writers uh, but um a, a few years ago she did a talk um looking at what the billable hour does to our brains. Mm. And uh, one of the things that really has stuck with me is that compartmentalizing, like, like, you know, I do a lot of talks that let me know, like, you know, at 45 minutes, I have to shut up and, and, and my body is trained that at 45 minutes, I just stop because I, you know, I've trained myself. Well, if you're doing billable hours every six minutes, your brain thinks it's time to, do something else or to, you know, to tick the box or whatever. And when we go home at the end of the day and our children are trying to tell us a story, that's still running. You know, like what, you know, like yeah. we're, we're wasting time. Um, yeah. I do a lot of training. Yeah. We're wasting time. Right. I, that's right. I got to be, can't just be sitting here doing quote unquote nothing. Nothing. Yeah. And it's an unconscious thing too. It's not it's, necessarily it's, even something that they're yeah. thinking. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's a pattern that gets right. built in the brain. And then, yeah. and, and it's why our relationships suffer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That because you, you think that it just takes lawyers out of, you hear that, of course, the idea of mindfulness um, and being present. And does that, is that one of the obstacles for lawyers that if yeah. they're constantly worrying about is six minutes and I need to be moving on to the next thing or make sure that I'm, I'm doing something that's tangible, then they're not being present with whoever is in front of them. Yeah. Well, think about even, even in mindfulness, um, they're doing it for a time, Yeah. you know? Um, yeah, and that's true. a lot of the mindfulness teachers actually say, you know, try doing it for six minutes. And it's it's playing into that pattern, huh. um, so that even being mindful is about that pattern of um, yeah. of the brain. Yeah. So so talk. I'm um, I'm curious. Like I said, there's so many different ways I could go with you, Kim. 
Um, talk first about the book Lawyers as uh, Peacemakers. So, uh, and, and then I want to, after we talk about that, I really want, cause I know we don't have a lot, we don't have like four hours to talk, which I'd love, but I really <laughs> want to talk about what's going on with you now. Like, what are the things that you're focusing on now? Yeah, I think it helps but to focus understand on that book first. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of the things that I wrote about in 2010 and lawyers as um, peacemakers are now the yeah. cool things to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so that first decade of the two thousands, I was, I was learning about everybody else's work and, and meeting a lot of other people. So I, you know, I was in the laboratory and then I went out and started um, reaching out to other people. And, um, and uh, I, in 2008, I was practicing law in North Carolina and um, I decided that uh, because I had this big community, I wanted to do, I wanted to have a magazine. That was how it occurred first. And um, and uh, that year was the year that the Independent Press Association uh, went out of business and said that magazines were dead. <laughs> <laughs> and so I ended up uh, I ended up going online, mm-hmm. and uh, it's so hard to imagine now because um, the um, YouTube was brand new, and we used to have dial-up, and so we couldn't watch videos. And so YouTube came on at the same time internet was fast. And I um, started traveling around the U.S. um, first in 2007 while I was still stationary. And then in 2008, I gave up my house and office. And I started interviewing these really interesting people that I had met at conferences and that were now friends of mine. And um, I remember that. I remember you saying you just you didn't have an address. You just didn't have an address. No, you just traveled. I just was. Yeah. Yeah. I was a digital nomad before there was a term. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, I, um, and I thought I was making a documentary. That was the other thing. But um, I decided to put them up on, um, on YouTube, and somebody from the ABA saw them. These interviews. And I saw the interviews. And, and um, mm-hmm. I got a call from an editor who said, we actually here in the publications department have noticed a trend in law that's going in the direction that you're um, th- that you're talking about. Um, uh, but we didn't know that it had developed this far. And would you write us a book about what you've learned? And so I got to take all the things I'd learned and all the people I'd met and put it into a book. And so um, uh, Lawyers as Peacemakers Practicing Holistic Problem-Solving Law uh, was released, um, I think next week is... Um, is the 12th anniversary. Um, and it went to the bestseller list um, immediately. Wow. And so, I mean, a few people knew me, but I, yeah. I kind of took that as it actually was a thing. Like, you know, that the, that the uh, lawyers as peacemakers and practicing holistically was something that the bar in general was interested in at least some of them. And, um, and so I went from being the weirdest lawyer in the country at least to mainstream because the ABA published the book (laughs) you know like like all of a sudden I was not just this weird person who spent the last two years camping in national parks um uh as I moved from place to place Uh, but I I was mainstream 
Right. And so the book, you know, covers all the things that were really new then of mindfulness and different mm-hmm. approaches to practice and coaching and, uh, you know, how do you, how do you actually be a holistic lawyer? Mm-hmm. And um, so, uh, so that kicked off the stage of doing a lot of it, um, of, of travel and being invited actually to go overseas. And so in 2012, um, my digital nomadness uh, uh, became global. And yeah. uh, my first trip was to Australia and then to South Africa and then to Europe and then to India. And, and this um, was to go to, to conferences to talk this about your book? It was to speak. And uh, I started developing workshops about wow. what I was learning. And people would you know, uh, pay my expenses and um, yeah. you know, I would have a I would have a few days of workshopping, but mostly when I got there, I got to meet more people. And I got to expand the community. So yeah. so I kind of all the stuff I do is in service of um, expanding this community. Like I, if I'm right. visible, if I'm writing, I'm reaching people. And this is so. This is worldwide. This oh, this uh, movement that you're you're leading or co-leading, or I know I, I know am, there are other folks with you. Yeah, there's. A, it's more of a. It's more of a movement that's uh, emerging, and yeah. I'm one of the reporters, and I also uh, am one of the people who looks to see what might be missing and what might uh, actually help people come together. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and you know, like being visible is one of the ways that I serve the movement. That concludes part one of our interview with J. Kim Wright. Look for our next episode to hear the rest of the interview. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. Thank you.